invite you to take your Bibles and turn to that passage that was read for us in Luke 2 a little earlier, verses 25 through 39. Peace on Earth, that's been our series the last few weeks. It's a biblical phrase that's actually plastered all over the cover of countless Christmas cards. Perhaps you've got one this season already. It's placarded on church buildings worldwide. It's sung by religious people. We just did throughout thousands of congregations and churches. Uh, Hark the Herald Angels puts it this way. Peace on earth and mercy mild. So many people's thoughts turn to Jesus at Christmas coming to bring peace on earth. And that's exactly what the angels said to the shepherds that we saw last week in Luke chapter 2 verse 14. But although there's a lot of people who uh, talk about and think about Jesus bringing peace on earth at Christmas, not nearly enough people think about how Jesus brought peace on earth. See, week one we talked about this. We have talked about how you and I need the peace that Jesus brings. And in week two we talked about that we need the, the peace that Jesus brings and he's the only one that can bring it. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus brings peace on earth and what that means in your life and mine. I would venture to say this morning that if you're familiar with the Bible whatsoever, the Christmas story, that you are very familiar with the peace on earth verse and phrase in Luke 2.14. But I would also venture to say that you don't know about the other peace on earth phrase. It's one that is not put on the covers of Christmas cards it is not sung by choirs as our choirs sing today. It's not repeated in pulpits very often, and it's not nearly as popular or well-known, but can I tell you, you can't really tell the Christmas story without it. It reads in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, here's what Jesus says. He's going to tell you why he came, why Christmas happened. Ready? Do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. You see, well, which is it, Pastor Walker? Well, the angel said he came to bring peace on earth. Matthew says that he came to bring a sword. Which is it? And then the answer to that is both. See, he came to bring peace on earth with a sword. See, he brings peace. This is how he came. He brings peace through division. See, Jesus brings peace by causing divisions in lives, in families, and in people. See, he's going to show us this morning from this text that he brings peace through division two different ways, on the outside and on the inside. But before we unwrap both of those, let me just tell you what the text says about Simeon and leading up to it and the message that he has. If you look at your text, you'll see in verse 25 and verse 34 that there are two main parts to it, if you want a framework, and they both begin to mark it off with the word behold. Now, behold is a word like, I want to get your attention. You know, I might say something really loud or, or intense or dramatic. And, and that's what Matthew, I mean, that's what Luke wants. He says, I want to give you two major points, and I want to get your attention. I don't want you to miss either one of them. See, Luke does this 39 times. He uses the word behold 39 times, nine times in the Christmas narrative. And he wants us to get this message about Christmas. He's going to give us two witnesses that tell us about who Jesus is, why he came, and how he brings peace. He's going to use Simeon, which we're going to focus in on, 
is also going to talk about Anna. If you know anything about both of them, you'll know this, that they are older. Simeon is now about ready to die. Anna, the Bible says, at the time of the writing or the story taking place, she was 84. Both of them have been old or older, and both of them, can I say, have been waiting for Christmas a very, very long time. We're not good at waiting for Christmas, are we? Especially when you're a child. I, I want to quote a famous classical Christmas trio in the Chipmunks. And they say this, we can hardly stand to wait. Please, Christmas, don't be late. We've been good, but we can't last. Hurry, Christmas, hurry fast. See, isn't that the fun of Christmas? And, and, and the chipmunks are telling, you know what? Come on, Christmas, come on. I can't wait much longer. I remember growing up that on Christmas morning, we would do this. I don't know what your tradition is. My family would have one Christmas pe pe present we could open on Christmas Eve. So we got to do that, but all the rest of it had to wait till Christmas morning. And you couldn't get out of your bed until my dad came and got you. And so I'd go to bed, and you have to go to bed at a normal time, and you're all hyped up and everything like that. We weren't allowed to shake the presents or do any of those types of things that all you cheaters do. So we went to bed, and then my dad would come. He didn't come at 6, 7, 8 o'clock. He got up when he was ready to get up. And he'd come, and I had two sisters and me. And, of course, he'd go get my sisters first because they were older. I was the youngest. And then I'd already been up for a couple of hours laying in my bed, not knowing what to do with myself, just sitting there. And he'd knock on the door. He'd come in. And then I would go like this, pretending I'd been asleep. I didn't want to act immature like he'd kept me up all hours, you know, or anything. But you know what? Christmas couldn't come fast enough. You know, he was so slow getting around to coming and seeing us and getting us up. Time passed like it was eternity. Simeon and Anna, they've been waiting for Christmas a long time. In fact, in 225 and 238, here's the description of both of them using the exact same verb waiting. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In 238, it said Anna was waiting for the redemption in Jerusalem. Now see, they're both waiting, same verb, it, looks, it says this, to look with eager expectation. They were excited like little kids. They're waiting for Jesus the Messiah to come into the world and they've been waiting for a long time. You know what they're waiting for? Consolation and redemption. They're really interchangeable words. They're taken from the second half of the prophecy of Isaiah about a time when God would send Messiah and he would restore Israel, that he'd bring them back to prominence, that he would save his people. That's what they were waiting for, for Christmas. See, I found this to be true. People who receive Jesus into their lives are always willing to wait for him. See, Simeon, the Bible says in verse 26, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't see death until he had seen life. He wouldn't die until he held Jesus, the Messiah, the salvation, the life of God in his very arms. So imagine every day, imagine this, talk about waiting for Christmas. Every day he comes to the temple, people bring their babies in, nope, nope, nope. Nope, the Holy Spirit's not leading him. He's not showing, this isn't the one. And day after day, and days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, months turn into years, waiting, waiting, waiting. The Bible says that Anna was married when she was 16, which was not uncommon back then. Her husband dies seven years later when he's, she's 23. 
23 to 84. You do the math. That's six decades. Six decades of coming to the temple. 60 years of waiting. She's been a widow that long. Still no Christmas. Can I ask you? This Christmas, are you waiting? Say, Pastor Walker, I've been waiting for a long time. And it's difficult, isn't it? In an age of instant gratification and fulfillment, when we're used to getting things what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. But maybe you're here at Christmas and everybody else at least pretends on the outside to be happy and joyful, but not you. You feel lonely, abandoned. Perhaps this was a year of great loss, loss of people that you love, things in your life, things that you're used to having. Longing for things to be set right. Why doesn't God come into my life and make it right? See, we haven't, life hasn't turned out, you'd say. Life hasn't turned out the way that you expected to. I never thought that 2021 would include all the things it has. For some, you're waiting, still waiting. Waiting for your family to be put back together. Waiting finally to get married and have a family of your own. You're waiting and you're still waiting for your prodigal child who has grown up and turned his back or her back on God, you're still waiting, you're still praying, you're still hoping that their lives will be changed. You see, you read the story of Simeon and Anna, and you know what it teaches us? It teaches us that God sees you. See, he knows when you come to church every week and you're waiting, you come next week and the next week and you come month after month, year after year, and you're still waiting. You still be faithful. You're coming to church. See, he sees you. He has not forgotten you. I can read scripture as well as you, and here's what I found out. No one who's ever waited on God has ever been disappointed. Amen. Simeon and Anna teach that Jesus is definitely worth the wait. See, there are things in life that aren't, though. Have you ever been to the amusement park and they, this new roller coaster and it's touted as the best, the highest, the fastest, all this stuff. And so you're going to get in line, you're in line, and you're in line. I mean, you are in line. You can't even see the gate where you're standing. Hours and hours pass. I have been told, now I wouldn't do this because I can't handle it. All that ride stuff makes me sick anymore. But there are people who stand in line and told me the other day, I stood in line four and a half hours for a two-minute ride. The first thing I said is, I will pray for you. <laughs> because you might have, right there, you know what I'm saying? And then you get the two minutes are over, and you go, okay, that was all right. That wasn't worth four hours of wait. You go to a restaurant, someone tells you, maybe at Christmas, you've got to go to this new restaurant. It just opened up, I'm telling you, and they tell you about certain meals, and it's fantastic. You've got to go there, the prices are nice, and you go there, and you walk in, and you get the meal, and you sit down, and they didn't even come for 20 minutes to even know that you exist at the table yet. And you try to tell them, hey, this food, this is the best burger and whatever, and you pay all this money and have all this time, and you go, eh, eh, you know, it's all right. It really wasn't worth all of that. A movie, you got to see this movie. Oh, you got to read this book. See, our life is still, you know what? There are a lot of things in life that you wait and you wait and it's not worth it. But can I tell you this? Waiting for Jesus is always worth it. See, when Jesus comes at Christmas, he comes. He comes to change your life. But got to ask you a question. What kind of peace are you looking for Jesus to bring? Because that's the decisive question, isn't it? For Israel, they were looking for Jesus to bring, bring political deliverance. 
political peace. That's what they really wanted because they thought if they could get rid of Rome, all their problems would be solved and their life would be completely like they wanted it to be. They'd have peace. They wanted economic peace. See, most of them were struggling just to make it and scratch out a living. Maybe you feel that way. You know, I pay the bills, but it isn't much more than that. See, they thought if God would give them back all the riches that they thought they deserved. But see, when Jesus brings peace, here's what people realize who know him. That the greatest thing, the greatest need they have is not political or financial peace. It's restoration with God. See, they need eternal life. They come to the place where they need, here's what they realize, that what I really need the most is the forgiveness of sins. Because there's some people who think that their greatest need is physical health. That they can have a clear bill of health. That they can have family restoration. They can have financial assistance. They can, you, if God would just give me this Christmas a marriage makeover and make it right between my spouse and I. See, physical peace, financial peace, marital peace, they will not fill the hole in your soul. They won't. Because that hole is Jesus-shaped. And that's what Simeon knew. Simeon knew that what he really needed was not something out there, but something in here. He needed Jesus in his life. See, that day, verse 27 of chapter 2, when Simeon went to that temple on that day, that Christmas day, right, or nearby, see, he went there and he saw Mary and Joseph and he says, that's him. That's them. And the baby. And he takes the baby up. And the Bible doesn't say he introduced himself. He just took the baby, right? He put it in his arms. See, you know what? On that day, here's what I say. He said this. I am holding in my arms peace on earth. Because it's not a thing. It's a person. See, that's what you really need. Wouldn't you like to hold peace in your hands? See, but if you have the wrong kind of peace, the peace that the world offers, you know what it does? It slips right through your fingers. You think you can hold on to marital peace and financial peace and physical health peace and all. See, you think you can hold on to it, but you know what? It, it, it's gone so quickly. And the diagnosis you never expected comes. And the loss of your job that you never thought would take place has. And the breakup of a relationship takes place. And you know what? It's gone. You can't hold it. You really can't hold on to it. But you can if you have peace from Jesus. And the kind of, see, you can hold it in your arms and you can keep it. It is the one that you've been looking for. To the point where Simeon says, look at verse 29. Lord, now your servant can... Depart in peace. Now I can. See the emphatic word now? See, my life has not been at the place it is to this day. I'm holding Jesus, and now I can depart in peace. And that's a euphemism for death. Lord, you can take me. Lord, my life can be free to be over. Because I'm complete now. You know why? I've held peace in my hands. I can depart in peace, he says, because I'm holding Jesus. Look at the text. You know what you'll find? The day he held Jesus in his hands, nothing around him changed. There are no changes in his situation. There are no changes in his circumstances. Did you know when he held Jesus and said, I can go in peace, that Rome still ruled? Did you know Israel were still slaves? Do you know they were still being brutalized and abused and mistreated by, by those around them that were in charge? Do you know Anna, who was 84, had waited 60 years? Did you know when Jesus came, she still remained a widow? 
Here's what peace is. Peace is not God coming into your life to change your circumstances and your situation. He's coming to your life to change you. To change you. So let me ask you, what do you require in order for you to depart in peace? Well, you know what, Pastor Walker, before I, you know what, I'd love to have my life would be full if I just got a husband. If I just got a better paying job, you know, that would do it for me. If I had a clean bill of health, if I had some personal vindication and people would see me for who I really am. You see, none of those things are the keys to peace. If you get your keys out, you know, most people have a number of keys on their keychains. And we have that spiritually too, you know that? See, you've got a key on your keychain, a bunch of them, and one of the keys you give to your wife because you think, if I give her a key, she'll be the key to peace for me. And you have another key, and you get it out and use it sometime, and it's your children. If your children obey you and do all the right things, and they really make you proud, see, that's a key, and you get that out, and you put it in the lock, and you think you can unlock peace with it. You give your boss a key because if you're good at work, and your boss acknowledges it, and you get the promotion, and you move up the ladder, and you make the money that you need to have, See, that's a key that you take out. And another key is your friends. If you could have close friends and be close and people you can trust, depend on, have relationships with. See, that's peace. And so we break out our keychain. We have keys for all these things. A couple years ago, I, I got a car. It's in the driveway over there. You know what I love about it? It doesn't have any keys. I don't have to lose them anymore. It's, you know what it is? It's a keyless entry. You know what I have at my house? I don't have locks like that anymore. It just, you punch in the buttons. I don't have to have keys. I don't have to send, oh yeah, I gotta give you the key to get in while I'm gone. I don't have to do that anymore. You know what it is? I have one thing, a fob, that's it. I have no keys, just one thing, one code. You know what, I get in because I have that one thing. I don't need all those keys anymore. Can I tell you, when you come to Jesus and you find peace from him, you don't need all those keys. They're nice to have, and all those people and things in your life, they're fantastic, but you can have a keyless entry into heaven. You know what it is? It's Jesus. He's the only one. You punch in the code, and it's J-E-S-U-S. That's what it is. He is the key that you're looking for. Well, how does Jesus do that, Pastor Walker? Well, I'm glad you asked. He breaks people into groups, back to what I originally said at the beginning. See, he comes, and he brings peace. But when he does, here's what happens. It divides people. How does it divide people? Well, it divides people on the outside. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Verse 34 says that this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. See, Jesus, think of it this way. He's a dividing line. He divides people on the outside into two groups. There's two groups of people. People who receive him and people who reject him. Jesus came to polarize people. Rise or fall. There is no in-between. Pastor Walker, why is he so divisive? Why is he so polarizing? Here's why. Because when he came into the world, he demanded that he was the only king. See, at the same time he claims to be king, so is Caesar. And here's what the truth of the Bible from beginning to end is. You can't have two lords or two kings in your life. He's demanding total allegiance to you. And see, you cannot be neutral. There's no way that you can hear the claims of Jesus as God, as ruler and Lord. You cannot hear those claims and stay neutral. Every single person 
in this place today. Every person watching on live stream, see, you are either rising or falling because of Jesus. The question is, have you submitted to him completely? Have you given your life to him altogether? Because he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. See, you can't get away from it. That's what he's looking for. He says that he is the only Savior and the only Lord. C.S. Lewis considered the claims of Jesus in the Gospels and said that he's either this, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Because you can't have anything in between that. He's either a complete liar, he's either out of his mind, or he is who he said he is. He is Lord, and you have to be the one who decides. And there are people here this morning, and I know many of you personally, You've thrown everything overboard and you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and he is supreme in your life and every facet of your life. But there are some of you who have not done that. You are interested in Jesus. You're considering the claims of Jesus. You are somewhat religious and you've gone to church most of your life and you know who he is and you believe he might be God. But that's completely different than whether he's the Lord of your life. The most important question that you'll ever consider is this. What side of the dividing line are you on? Not like, I should say, have you given your life to Jesus? That's how you know what side of the line you're on. Have you? Have you given your life to Christ? Not like the woman in the song. Have you heard, a little older, Jesus, take the wheel. Have you heard that? It's a woman, and I'll summarize, driving down the road, icy road, Christmas time, winter time. Her child's in the back seat. She loses control. Her life flashes before her eyes. She throws her hands off the wheel and says, Jesus, take the wheel. Listen to what she says. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. Because I, I, I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go, so give me one more chance. Save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's not. You know why? Because Jesus is polarizing he doesn't just want to take the wheel. He wants the wheel, the keys, the title to your car, the whole thing. See, he didn't come to give you one more chance as if one more chance would do it for you. He doesn't want to come into your life because you're in an emergency crisis situation, sliding on ice with your child in the back seat. He doesn't want you to throw your hands up in the air and say, okay, I can't do it now. Now I realize. See, he doesn't want you to say, come into my life, Jesus, to solve my crisis. I have an emergency, God. I'm on ice. My life is falling apart. Can you come into my life and make my present situation better than what it is? See, that's what she says in the song. Save me from this road I'm on. That's where most people are because they want that kind of peace. God, make all the problems on the outside go away. Save me from the... Can I tell you this? He didn't come to save you from the road you're on. He came to save you from the sin you're in. That's what he came for. He doesn't want to just touch your road. He wants to touch everything. He wants to have the complete control of your life. So Jesus divides people on the outside between receivers and rejectors. But it's even more. In fact, can I say it's deeper than that? He doesn't just divide people on the outside. He divides people on the inside. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 35, here's what the Bible says. In the, the metaphor is a sword. A sword. In chapter 2, in verse 35, it reads this. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, Mary, so that thoughts 
from many hearts might be revealed. No one is immune from the soul sword of God. No one. Not even his own mother, Mary. She would experience all kind of pain, all kind of difficulty. Even Mary herself would have to come to the position in her life that she needed to, as Jesus' mother, submit herself under his lordship because of who he really was. Even Mary felt that pain of the sword. You see, when the sword pierces your heart, you will either love him or you will leave him. There is no middle ground. You'll see who he is, that he is truly Lord. You'll see what he's done for you when he died on the cross. and rose. See, you'll see that as the sword pierces you and brings conviction of your sin and the way that you fall short and that you're never going to be enough to be acceptable to God on your own. See, when you come there, it, it, it's painful. It's painful to see yourself in the mirror of God's word. It's very painful. Mary had to do it. You and I have to do it. No one's immune from it. There is no pain. There is no peace if there is no pain. When Jesus comes into someone's life, see, he reveals their thoughts, and it says what's going on in their heart. See, that's what the Bible does. That's what the sword of Christmas does. You know what it does? It cuts deep. It gets beyond the surface. It goes beyond the shallow, sensational part of you, the religious part of you, the, vernacular, the veneer or the facade of being self-righteous and how you think that God's pleased because you try to be a good person, you put some money in the plate, and you try to be mo you know, moral as much as you can. See, he gets below that. He doesn't want, he doesn't, doesn't leave you with the public you or the pretend you that you let everybody else think that you are. No, he pierces with his sword to your heart. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word discerner is a Greek word that means it's kritikos. You know what it means? To critique. You know what the Bible's doing to you this morning? It's critiquing you. Not how you look on Christmas Day on the outside, but how you look to God on Christmas on the inside. See, he's critiquing your thoughts. The thoughts you have even going on in the service right now, he knows them. He knows the thoughts you have about the person you're still angry about and the grudge that you're still holding. See, he knows the thoughts that you have, the uncontrolled thoughts at times of lust and other things that you're not willing to take control of or let him take control. See, he's looking at what the thoughts are in your life, the things that are going on, the intentions, the motives for what you do. And when you're nice and you're kind, he knows the reasons behind it. He knows what's compelling you. He knows he can read it all. And the Bible says in the very next verse after Hebrews 4.12 that every one of us are laid naked and open or bare unto him with whom we have to do. His eyes see what everyone else thinks is hidden. He knows you. He knows you on the he knows everything about you. See, he gets below the surface. Have you ever felt the Bible blade? Have you? Maybe you're feeling it right now. Maybe the very reason that God brought you here on Christmas Sunday is because he wanted to pierce, he wanted to divide, he wanted to get down deep. 
deep into the core of who you are. He wants you to see that you're a sinner and you need a savior and your only hope is Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose again, not to be a moral example, not just to be someone that you could follow and look to as a good person. No, he died because he's the only hope that you will ever have of peace and he's bringing you piercing pain this morning through the sword of his word, because he wants it to lead to repentance. He wants to bring it to brokenness. He wants you to come to the end of yourself and not just say, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take it all. Take all my life. And the soul-piercing sword of God's word is working in your heart perhaps this morning and why he brought you here. But see, when you come to the place when the sword of God's word pierces you and you begin to feel the conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment, you know what happens? You begin to break down because that repentance that you're beginning to feel is the only thing that leads to peace. And you know how God's people who have gone through that, you know what they realize? They realize this, that the reason I can be saved, the reason I can have a new life, the reason I can have Jesus' peace, the only way... Is because he took the ultimate sword for us all. Isaiah 53, 5, a prophecy about the Messiah. Listen to the words. Talking about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. Do you hear that? See, he's putting the sword of the word of God and cutting into you. You know why? So that the other sword doesn't have to. See, on the cross, he took the sword, the sword of God's punishment, the sword of God's judgment. See, he was pierced with a sword for your transgressions. Trans where every time you've stepped over the boundary, every time he says, this is what I want you to do, and you don't do it. See, he, every time you've transgressed his word, he says, I took that sword for you. I took that. I was pierced with your transgressions, it says. I was crushed by your iniquities, listen to this, and the chastisement of your peace was upon him. He said, I took the sword you deserved, and they crushed me with it, and they killed me with it. Why? So I could bring you my peace. See, that's what Christmas is. Christmas is how he brings peace. You know how he brings peace? With a sword. The question is, which side of the sword are you on? Have you received him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you called on him to be your savior? Have you sought the forgiveness that only comes through his cross, death, and resurrection? Light, have you, are you a Jesus receiver or a Jesus rejecter? Will you have peace today? I pray that you would. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Je Jesus offers peace, but on his terms. You have to renounce that you're good enough. Mary had to. Even the mother of Christ needed a savior. See, you're here this morning and you're religious. You go to church. You do the good things. Maybe you've even been baptized as an infant or adult. I don't know where you stand today, but can I tell you this? You need peace. And the way that Jesus brings peace is to bring you this morning to a place where you have to decide how the sword will affect you. Which side of the dividing line are you on? Will you receive him this morning? 
Will you give your life? I, I mean, give your life to him. All of it. <clears throat> I pray that you would. We're going to sing in just a moment as we close the service. I'm going to be standing down front. If you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not asking whether you know in him or believe in him or that he believes he died. I, I'm not asking. Have you surrendered your life? Have you called on him for the forgiveness of sins through his cross, death, and resurrection. Only he can give and give your life to him. If you've never done that, would you do that on Christmas? That his birthday would be your birthday. That you'd give your life to him completely. Would you do that as we sing? Just come forward and we'll take someone to have a few minutes of time to show you about how through the word of God that you can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that this morning as the spirit of God moves in your heart? Father, we pray that you would now do what only you can do. Draw people. Help them not to worry about who's looking and what people will think. Those are only the tools of the devil. I pray, my Father, that you might be willing, like your son was humble, may you give us humility, that many that you are working in, convicting in, your sword, may it pierce them, even now, that they might come, that they might have life, eternal life in your name. And in that, Lord Jesus, you might be glorified. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.